Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome everybody to another Baseball America podcast. We've got a full house today in this draft podcast. Jim Callis calling in from the Chicagoland area. Connor Glassy and Nathan Rohde here with me, John Manuel, in the Baseball America podcast nook. This is a draft podcast. All of our draft coverage is sponsored by Dick Sporting Goods. If you go all over the Baseball America website, you'll see the Dick Sporting Goods logo everywhere. So we thank the people at Dick Sporting Goods for their sponsorship of all of Baseball America's draft coverage. And guys, this is kind of one of the funner uh, events that we do all year. Jim, uh, in the past, we've done the, our experts draft kind of just like as an email chain letter. I think we're all tired of typing with the BA 500 online and all of our state lists. I think we were tired of my. I know uh, my fingers are uh, worn to the nub, and uh, so now we're just going to talk and do our experts draft as a podcast how did you wind up with the first overall pick jim i guess your past mock drafts have been poor uh i don't know i guess uh, that was connor's decision i was hoping to pick two but uh (laughs) i've got the number one slot well we're just going to set things up we're going to draft for the actual order that the first round will go in on monday june 4th so astros twins and mariners uh putting on their batting helmets they're up first um we're going to just all four of us are going to make picks jim and connor will pick every single time around Nathan and I are going to alternate so I can uh, moderate and get and, and sneak in some catnaps during this podcast. We'll go Callus Manuel Glassy, Callus Rody Glassy, et cetera, et cetera. So everybody ready? All right, yep. Jim. Jim, you are on the clock for the Houston Astros. So everyone's going to be drafting not for themselves or not how they would do it, but how they would do it if they were running that team. So Jim's putting himself into – it's like a Star Trek episode and – Jim has been beamed into the body of Jeff Luno, and now you guys are merged as one. Well, it's uh, what I'm going to do, and what I, it's what I think the Astros Stop are going to do that. too. It's, uh, I, I didn't know where to go with that, but with the uh, with the Astros, I think Astros because they're not close to contention. I know they've played over their head a little bit. I think you've got to take the best player available. You can't look for a guy who's the quickest return or a guy who fits a particular position. They've got a ton of needs. Um, I think they take the best player available. Um, for me, the best player available in the draft is Byron Buxton. He's not going to have the quick return of a Mark Appel, but I would take Buxton number one. I think you're looking at a future five-tool center fielder, you know, possible Justin Upton, Matt Kemp type of player. You know, he is going to need some time to develop. The Astros should have plenty of time because they're not going anywhere anytime soon. So I'm taking Byron Buxton number one for the Astros. I like that pick. I think that's the way I would go if I had the Astros. Connor, is that the way you'd go? That's the way I would go as well, yeah. Well, that puts me on the clock for the Minnesota Twins at two, and I do our Twins prospect list. And I've gotten calls from lots of media in Minnesota this week about how important this draft is. And uh, you, you look at their pitching draft track record, it, it's ugly. It's really ugly. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Since 2005, it's been brutal. Um, That's the way I, I don't really well. love any of these three college pitchers who are at the top, this top tier, Kevin Gossman, Mark Appel and Kyle Zimmer, I think they're all pretty similar. You could shake them up in a hat. My gut feel feels like I like Kevin Gossman the best out of those three guys. Um, I don't believe that's the way that the Twins would go. 
I think they will take Mark Appel. So I'm going to take Mark Appel here at two so I don't mess up our mock draft right off the bat. But I will say all three of those guys are pretty similar. If I were putting my money on one of them, it would be Gossman because in the past he's had a breaking ball. I think he can have it again in the future. But, you know, I said that about Alex White. I thought Alex White had a great slider as a high school player and that he would get that slider back. And he never has. He hasn't done it. So I'm, you know, with that track record in, in my history, I'm going to say that the Twins, picking second here, I'm taking Mark Appel, the right-hander out of Stanford. I think the Twins do have enough pieces at the big league level that if they figure out their pitching, uh, they can contend sooner than later. When you're paying that much money at the big league level for Joe Maurer and Justin Morneau, I think it, it behooves them to get someone who's fairly close to the major. So I'm taking Mark Appel with the second overall pick of our draft. So Byron Buxton's off the board and Mark Appel's off the board. Connor Glassie, you're picking for your hometown Seattle Mariners. Hey, one quick question, John. Now, we're, you're not necessarily picking who you think the team will pick. You're picking who the team you think the team should pick. So I'm just clarifying here. If you think Gossman's better than Appel, why not take Gossman at number two? Well, I just said my gut is that Gossman's better because I liked it because he had a breaking ball in high school and it's gone kind of away. And I, I feel like he should be able to get it back. But that Alex White history that I have myself, <laughs> if I'm picking for the Twins, uh, that scares me that a guy who used to have a breaking ball and lost that feel, he hasn't gotten it back. So I don't know that you can be that confident. And like we've written all spring, all these guys have some hickeys, but uh, I do think Appel, if you're comparing them straight up to Gossman, I think those guys are both better than Zimmer. Okay, okay. so I'm lining those guys up next to each other. Appel's changeup is quite good. It's not as good as Gossman's, but it's quite good. It's still a plus pitch. Fastballs are pretty similar. I like the fact that Appel's pretty fresh arm, especially for a NorCal guy. He's pretty fresh arm. And I think the breaking ball is better. So I'm going to go Mark Appel. I think it's a razor-thin difference. I think if you evaluate it objectively, I think Appel's better. My gut, I like Gossman a little better, but I think the, I'm trying to take emotion out of it. And if I look at the facts in front of me, I, I, I like Appel better. Really what you're saying when you're comparing Gossman and Appel is you think it's easier to teach a little bit of movement on the fastball than it is to, to get that breaking ball. I agree. Yes, I do think that's true. That's a good way to sum it up. I do think it's easier to, to manipulate the ball and get a little life on the fastball because I, I think it's something in the arm action with Gossman that he's lost on the breaking ball. So so we've got uh, Appel and Buxton off the board. Uh, Connor, you're at Seattle picking third. Well, I think, you know, the Mariners would really love Byron Buxton. I think they want a hitter. You know, we heard the same thing last year, and then they threw us a curveball with Danny Holson. But, uh you know, Tom McNamara plays things close to the sweater vest, but I think that the team is going to go with Puerto Rican shortstop Carlos Correa, and that is the direction I would go as well. You know, he is a fluid defender out there. He has a really strong arm, so he can stay at shortstop because he can play deep. And then, uh, you know, he has he has five-tool ability. He can run a little bit, and he can hit, and he can hit for some power. So Correa would be my choice here for the Mariners. It sounds like he has the most helium, really, Connor, of anybody at the top of the I think he does, yeah. Jim, we just were talking yesterday, not on a podcast, which is rare. <laughs> anyway, uh, we were just talking yesterday about uh, what's the difference between Carlos Correa and Manny Machado from a couple years ago in the draft. Sorry, it feels like the big difference is just that uh, Manny Machado had a little more hype. Is that fair? Yeah, I agree. You know, I, I think that is the difference. I think, I think Carlos Correa might have a slightly better chance to stick at shortstop. If, if one of those guys had to move, I think it might be Machado instead of Correa. I think they're very similar. Um, I think Correa, I think you're exactly right. I think he does have uh, uh, a ton of helium uh, right now. I, I think he's, 
I think he's the guys are kicking the tires on him a little bit at one and two, and I do think, you know, as much as anybody can read the Mariners, I, he's my guess, and we do uh, we unfold a, another mock first round tomorrow on our website. I, I think we're going to have Carlos Correa going number three overall to the Mariners. Um, I, I like him a lot, and I think he is a little bit underhyped. And I know there's a lot of teams, I, you know, I think if Correa doesn't go one, two, or three. He's one of those guys who's literally in the mix for every team until he goes. I think the Orioles will look at him at four. The Royals, as much as they need pitching, will look at him at five. I think the Cubs would love him at six. I think the Padres would love him at seven. That, that basically he's going to be in play for every team. So I, And those guys, when you get a guy like that, they, they, they usually go on the high end of that range. Baseball America podcast doing our mock draft. We have had picks one, two, and three right now. Uh, Jim Cowles is on the clock at four with the Baltimore Orioles. Nathan Rohde, you're a... Uh... You're on deck with the uh, Kansas City Royals at five. Jim, who you got? The, you're, you're putting on the, the bigger glasses and being Dan Duquette for a moment. Where, where do you guys go? Well, I, I think the Orioles are another one of these teams that, you know, they're playing well right now. I still think they're the fifth best team in the AL East. You, you've got to go best player available. Um, the caveat is if, if you thought Mike Zanino was the best player available here, they've got Matt Weider. So, I mean, you don't draft for need, but it makes no sense when you already have a franchise catcher to draft another catcher with the fourth overall pick in the draft. So for me, if, the, if you know, I think they'd have interest in the first three guys who've gone off the board here in our in our draft so far. I think you're you're looking at one of the college pitchers, um, you know, Kyle Zimmer or Kevin Gossman. You, know, you touched on Gossman, uh, you know, the, the, you asked the question. I mean, and I've I've heard a, a range of answers when I talk to scouting directors about him. Some think he's going to have a plus breaking ball. Some are worried about him because they they don't like the breaking ball, and some think it's in between. I'm going to roll the dice here a little bit. I know he had a hamstring injury at the end of the year and wasn't at his best. But I think Kyle Zimmer's got more three-plus pitch potential than Kevin Gossman. And I'm going to take Kyle Zimmer at four ahead of Kevin Gossman, although I I think it's really a coin flip between those two guys. But I'm taking Kyle Zimmer at number four for the Orioles. Kyle Zimmer off the board fourth for uh, for Baltimore. I'm going to go on record. I'm, I'm not a big Kyle Zimmer believer. I know he came out of the gates awesome. Uh, he didn't sustain it, you know. And pitching in this West Coast Conference a little different than pitching in the Southeastern Conference. And I, I think everybody in the office knows I'm a I'm a Colorado tall pitcher guy. I like those guys, and the uh, track record for those guys is pretty good. Very least, I think Kevin Gossman goes to the bullpen as a wipeout closer with a plus fastball and a wicked changeup. So uh, I'm a Gossman guy. So Gossman's on the board for you at five. Uh, here, Nathan, the Kansas City Royals, they've drafted uh, – there's no Nebraska high school player for them to take this year. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you like here for Kansas City at five with uh, Connor Glassy and the Cubs on deck at six? Well, you know, I was really kind of sweating what the scenario would play out here being at five because I think there's a lot of guys that are going to be in play but that also could be off of the board. You know, a guy like Mike Zanino I have to really consider because, you know, I might consider him the best player available right now. But uh, with the Royals, you know, we've talked about for a while how they have a little bit of a need for, uh, you know, some pitching that's close to the big leagues. And like Jim said, you don't draft on need. But when you have a need that is in line with somebody that is defensively uh, best available, I think you can go in that direction without, uh, you know, being blamed too much. So, um, you know, despite being a long toss guy, because I think the Royals, they get a bad rap. I know, John, that you've got some information on that that you'll mention. Um, But Kevin Gossman, uh, is going to be the guy that I'm going to go with for the Royals and, uh, you know, hope that they can work something out where they can find a workout that's in line with everybody's with everybody's uh, beliefs. I'll just say this. I'm going to write this in the next issue of the magazine, but the Royals have tried to um, – they want to shed that rap. Uh, J.J. Piccolo says that they do not 
restrict people to 120 anymore. And that really, you know, Bill Fisher uh, was their um, pitching coordinator, and uh, he's not anymore. He hasn't been for a couple of years. And so their throwing program has changed a little bit. And uh, he disputed a little bit the account in um, Sports Illustrated about Dylan Bundy. thought that was a little bit overblown and uh, really thinks that they're uh, – you know, he, he thinks that uh, things are better for the Kansas City Royals than people perceive them to be for their throwing program. The proof will really be in the pudding of do they develop pitchers? You know, do their homegrown pitchers come through for them? But, uh, you know, I, don't, I think that Gossman uh, – you know, is better than Mike Montgomery. He's better than Danny Duffy. He's better than most of the guys they've drafted. We'll see. Luke Hochaver was kind of a, a big deal as well, and he's a tall Colorado guy as well. And he didn't quite work out for the Kansas City Royals the way they hoped. So, so we'll, we'll see what happens. I like the Gossman pick uh, for Kansas City at five. So, uh, so we're moving on to six with Connor Glassy and the Cubs and Jimmy are on deck for the Padres at seven. You know, I could see the Cubs going a few different ways here. I could see them going with one of the top college pitchers if one of those guys falls here to six. I could see them going with a high school player like Max Fried or maybe Albert Almora as well. Um, but when Jim passed on Mike Zunino at four with the Orioles, he did so because he said they don't have a or they already have a franchise catcher. Well, the Cubs don't. Zunino is a guy who was you know in consideration for the top three picks um, most of the year. And he's a guy where the tools play up. I mean, the power is maybe the only tool that you can give him that's that's plus. But uh, everything else plays up. You know, he's a good leader. He's tough. He's grown up around the game. I like Mike Zunino, and I especially like him here at six. To me, Jim, best case scenario of Mike Zunino, he's kind of like uh, if everything works out, you know, he doesn't have I mean, the, the way I think about it is that you know, Brian McCann's dad was a guy in the game. Brian McCann was a second-round pick out of high school, but he's not a great body guy. But his dad was a coach, grew up around the game. He's got savvy. He doesn't really have plus tools. He has big-time power, and he has hitting ability. Mike Zanino feels like he's not as good as Brian McCann, but he feels kind of similar to me. Growing up around the game with a dad as a scout, the body doesn't look beautiful, but neither did Brian McCann's. And Brian McCann's, you know, when you line them up at draft time, everybody thought that Jeff Francoeur was the dude and Brian McCann was going to be his wingman. Well, Jeff Francoeur is kind of like an, you know, has been a, was a bad and now is an average major league player. And Brian McCann is the best catcher year in and year out of baseball. I don't think people give him that credit, but he just is. He's so consistent and he hits. Uh, am I crazy that Mike Zanino can be that kind of player? Maybe a little bit, maybe 20 home runs instead of 25 every year, maybe 250, 260 instead of 280 be that kind of player yeah I, I like the McCann analogy I mean as a guy who if you if you tooled him out you know especially coming out of high school you know the, the guy's been an even better player than that you know I, th I think the sum is greater than the individual parts from McCann I think that's the case with Zanino you know, I mean you hear some you know non-switch hitting Veritech uh, comparisons on on Zanino uh, I think Zanino might even hit for a little bit more average than Veritech did but uh, you know that they're you know catchers always go well there's not a lot of catching in this draft I, I think in in actuality, he's a guy who, if he doesn't go three to Seattle, may you know may get down you know close to the bottom of the top ten. But uh, you know, I think in terms of just you know sheer value, um, you know, he'd be a good pick for the Cubs at six. If he goes uh, all the definitely. way to nine and the Marlins, they can they can uh, the Marlins can pull a uh, a Dolphins like they did with Tebow, where they had University of Florida. There. They can have all the Florida fans come out for Marlins games too. I'm sure Jim Morris and the fans of the U would be excited about that. 
just like uh, Miami football fans were excited about what they did for Florida football with Dolphins. But I digress. So we've got right now Buxton, Appel, Correa at the, as the first three picks in our draft. And then we went Zimmer, uh, Gossman, Zanino to the Cubs. So now Jim Cowles with pick seven for the Padres. I'm on deck for the Pirates. And uh, then uh, Connor Glassy picking nine for the Marlins. So pick us up, Jim. Uh, where do the Padres go here at uh, seven? I, I think the Padres, uh, in a perfect world, would like a bat. Um, you know, I, I think you know, maybe they their dream would be maybe that Correa would fall to him, which I don't think is going to happen. In this scenario, I, I think the Padres are, are going to go for the best high school pitcher in the draft. I think they're going out to Harvard-Westlake High School. And it's, of course, Max Fried and not Lucas Giolito, who's a big wild card right now. I, I think they take Max Fried in this scenario. You know, Fried... You know, at the beginning of this month, you know, slumped a little bit. His stuff was down. He's getting knocked around a little bit. And I think if we did this a month ago, Max Fried might have even gone in the double-digit picks. Max Fried's got a lot of helium right now. He's righted the ship. I, I think his, his little speed bump, I, I think people are attributing more to anything that, for whatever reason, he and Giolito, I think, have been nonstop throwing, or Giolito was before he got hurt, you know, all winter. And they think he was just tired. When I talk to scouting directors, they just attribute to Fried being a little tired. They don't think there's anything wrong with him. Um, I think there's a chance that Freed could go as high as five to the Royals, to be honest with you. But I think the Padres take Max Freed at seven in so this Max, scenario. Max Freed at seven. So right now we've got uh, the first six players off our BA 500. If you haven't gone to BaseballAmerica.com slash draft hyphen preview and another backslash, that's where our top 500 uh, for the draft is. Our first ever BA 500. We're all excited slash exhausted by the BA Top 500, so uh, please visit it and make it worth our while that we did all that. But uh, Max Fried's 11 on the BA 500, but Jim, you're going to adjust the top 50? Is that it, Connor? You, the three of us are going to adjust that top 50? Yeah, we're going to rearrange the top 50, um, update it for the MLB Network. I puts me on the clock at 8, Jim. Uh, and I know that the Pirates have been linked to Devin Marrero, and I understand why they would do that. Um, I would not go that route, and I don't think, even in this scenario, I understand where the Pirates could, but I still think Albert Almora is a better choice. I think the Pirates need hitters. Had that draft a couple of years ago where they didn't draft a hitter outside of Mel Rojas Jr. to like the 14th or 15th round. Like their top two hitters they drafted were Mel Rojas Jr. and like uh, Drew Gift of the Magi. I mean, I, to me, they need bats in their system. And Albert Almora, he may not quite be as tooled up as Anthony McC as Andrew McCutcheon. Of course, who is as tooled up as Kutch? But Albert Almora is special. I think if by the time he gets to the big leagues, which I think will be very soon, uh, he could play right field. I think he'll hit enough for that. I think he has enough of an all-fields approach that even in PNC Park, which is a very tough park for right-handed power hitters, I think Almora will play. I think you can outthink yourself. With your ballpark stuff, I just think Albert Armour is the best player on the board here. I think it's a pretty decent gap. If he ran better, I think he'd be right at the top of this draft with Carlos Correa and Byron Buxton as the top high school players in this draft. So I love Almora. Having done Florida, I didn't find one scout or cross-checker who didn't love Albert Almora. I'm taking him at eight with the Pittsburgh Pirates pick. Connery, I guess you had to put you on the clock at nine. Yeah, and I had my pocket picked here a little bit because I had Max Freed and Albert Almora as the next guys on my board. It's, uh, it's pretty... Pretty interesting to think about a Pirates outfield that could include McCutcheon, Almora, and Josh Bell. But here at nine, um, and I'm not even factoring the factoring in the Oklahoma connection, but I'm going to go with Andrew Heaney. 
Um, I think, you know, he's he's in that next tier of college pitchers, and you can't go wrong with a left-hander who, who led the country in strikeouts. I think when you look at the year he had, Connor, he's closer to that top-tier pitchers than I think maybe we thought when we did the BA 500. The first time when we first had our top 200, I think we thought there was a very defined college pitcher tier, and maybe Stroman was the next guy. But it really does sound like it's Andrew Heaney. And, Jim, I think you – you're here, and Heaney has some helium, some late helium, right? Yeah, I, I do think Heaney's going to go nine to the Marlins. Um, you know, I think another thing that plays in his favor, it's not like you can trade up or down, but let's say you were at the top of this draft, or even in the first round looking for a left-handed pitcher. You know, Max Fried's going to go in the first six or seven picks. Andrew Heaney's probably going in the top ten somewhere, and I do think he's going nine to the Marlins. And then there's a huge drop-off. you got Matt Smorrell from Ohio, who would be a mid-first-round pick, had he not broken a bone in his foot and essentially missed the whole season, he's a wild card. And once you get past Smorrell and his upside, I mean, you're looking at guys like Brian Johnson, who's you know a very good college pitcher for Florida, and I think he has a chance to be a first rounder. You know, probably fits more in the sandwich round for me, but it's not. You know, Brian Johnson doesn't dominate you with his stuff. You've got Alex Wood, who, you know, from Georgia, who's you know throws hard. You know, has a very good you know changeup. He's been effective, but he doesn't have much of a breaking ball, and, and guys are a little scared of the delivery. And he's got Tommy John in his past. I mean, you know, you got Hunter Verant, uh, a high school lefty. I mean, the lefties drop off the table after Andrew Heaney. I, I do think he's going to be the fourth college pitcher selected, and I think it's even possible he could be the third college pitcher selected if, you know, Zimmer kind of you know didn't finish strong. He had some hamstring issues. I don't think it's out of the question that Andrew Heaney sneaks in and is the third college pitcher drafted in some scenarios. Let's not forget on the BA 500, you can sort the whole thing. You can sort it by, you know, 100, 200, 300, 400, 500, by name, by school, you know, divide up your two-year, four-year high schools, uh, state, country, and, of course, you can sort by position. So I just sorted by left-handed pitcher, and I'm looking at this left-handed pitcher list. I could see Onelkis Garcia, the Cuban joker, sneaking up in the first round. He's going to probably come. I don't know how cheap he's going to come, actually. Maybe he won't come cheap. But if you've seen him on a good Sunday against a bunch of uh, 30-some-year-olds who used to play, you can fall in love with Anelkis Garcia's physicality. I bet you Sam Selman jumps up. He has finished very strong. We had him at 146. There's a reservoir of support for Sam Selman. He's raw. I think there's some questions about how bad he wants it. Um, but he's a left-hander, 91-95. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm getting verklempt apparently. But Sam Selman really has, I think, some helium left with arm strength. If he deals... This weekend in regionals against NC State, team that can hit. He's going to be matched up with Carlos Rodon. I bet you there's some decision makers who are going to sneak in there to see Rodon, but also to see Selman. Wouldn't shock me if Sam Selman snuck, snuck up some boards. Is there another left-hander in either y'all's regions, Jim or Connor or Nathan, that, that could sneak up uh, that maybe had some late helium? Because the, the dearth of left-handers, I think, is going to make people reach for them just like they reach for catchers every year. Well, my candidate would have been Nathan Kirby out of the uh, high school in Virginia, but, uh, you know, he's now ineligible for the draft. What did, Jim, anybody that you think could jump up from the Midwest besides Smorrell? No, not at all. You know, when you talk about Spellman, I mean, maybe he has a, you know, Garrett Richards is a right-hander, but, you know, Garrett Richards had a very inconsistent career at Oklahoma and pitched very well down the stretch and in the regionals. But, no, I mean, I think my next lefty after Heaney and Smorrell, I'm looking at the B.A. Top 500 is, you know, Alex Young, who's a high school lefty from Illinois, who's, you know, we've got ranked at 126, and, and that's about where he should go. I, I don't have any any premium lefties for you here in the Midwest. All right, we've gone through 10 picks. Connor, uh, you know, go ahead, Connor. Yeah, I was just going to say the only guy in my area that could jump up, not into the first round, but into the top two rounds, would be the Canadian high school left-hander Ryan Kellogg. 
physical and uh, upper 80s and uh, lots of projection and fresh arm. That's a, that's a good idea. I, I can see Kellogg sneaking up there. Uh, so we've gone through 10 picks on the mock No, no, no. You're, 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 you're snubbing me here in the Rockies, John. It's terrible. I, I think I'm on the board with the Rockies. We've only gone through nine. That is terrible. Come on. That is terrible. I was about to jump over you. <laughs> Colorado, you, you were like the Vikings in the NFL draft. You didn't get to the podium fast enough. Come on, Bill Schmidt. Get, get with it. Um, all right, Jim. Uh, you're with the Rockies here picking 10. Uh, let me guess. You're not going to draft the pitcher. Well, you know, I mean, I hear the Rockies want to bat. Um, and I'm torn here because I don't think – I think at this point, I don't think there's a clear-cut, obvious top player available. I'm One of us is going to probably pick Lucas Giolito at some point. He's a tough call because you don't know – I mean, you're going to see some medical reports, and you have to interpret them. Nobody knows exactly when he's going to return to the mound. It's not going to be before the draft. It's probably not going to be before you sign him. And nobody knows as of today when we're recording this on Thursday exactly what it's going to cost. The guys I've talked to, nobody senses yet that you know they're moving off from the money he would have gotten at the top of the draft. So, I mean, you know, in a perfect world, he's got the best ceiling right now. I can't take him at 10 without having a feel for what it's going to take to sign him. You know, I'm all over the board with this one, and I, I think what I'm going to do is, is I, I think I'm going to go the direction that I think the Rockies are going to go in here um, because I don't think there's a clear-cut guy, so I'll just do what I think the Rockies are going to do here. I, I think if this, the draft unfolds like this, the, the Rockies are taking Courtney Hawkins at, at number 10. You know, slugging uh, outfielder, high school outfielder from Texas, you know, probably fits in right field in the long run more than center. Um, I think he's their guy. I think that's who they would take in this scenario, and I think he's as good a choice as out there, and I think they have a little bit more of a need for a hitter than an arm. So, so give me Courtney Hawkins at number 10. It does sound, Jim, uh, you're talking to uh, the, in the industry with scouting directors and that kind of thing, that Hawkins is generally the consensus has Hawkins over David Dahl at this point among high school outfielders behind, obviously, Buxton and Almora. Yes, I think that that's very fair to say. I, I don't think it's a huge gap. But I think most teams, at least teams I've talked to, would take Hawkins over Dahl, and I'd be a little surprised if Dahl goes ahead of Hawkins when the draft unfolds. All right, finally, Nathan Rohde, you're up. I, I tried to skip uh, to you a minute ago, but uh, you're up for the Oakland Athletics at 11 with Connor Glassie on deck for the New York Metropolitans at 12. Well, you know, with this pick, uh, we've heard a little bit about the A's connection to uh, Sir Lance McCullers out of Tampa Jesuit High. Uh, and I think that's that's the direction I'm going to go in. You know, there's been a lot of debate as to whether he is a starter or a lever in the long run. But uh, given the package of stuff that he has, I'm not really worried which direction he's going to go because whichever one he does, he has a very good chance of being very good at it. Uh, you know, with a plus fastball, plus curveball, and the makings of maybe a, a plus changeup. You know, I like, you know, what you have in that. So uh, I'm going to take Lance McCullers here. I'm going to send him out there as a starter uh, and let everything else take care of itself. I think that's absolutely the right pick. With the board unfolding this way, Oakland, uh, you know, the one thing that I think the A's don't get much credit for, they get a lot of credit for things they haven't done, and they, and they get uh, things they did 10 years ago. And then I think sometimes they almost get bashed for some of the other things, but their, their hitting development has really struggled. But they've developed some pitchers. They said that they know what to do, Jim, with all kinds of pitchers. Lefties, righties, power arms. You know, they unlocked Brett Anderson. They unlocked Brandon McCarthy. They unlocked Gio Gonzalez. You know, a lot of the guys who had struggled there, they figured something. I, I trust the A's pitching development, I guess, the way I'd put it. Yeah, and I also think I think the the ballpark and the, the A's, I think, put a huge emphasis on defense. Um, I think those things, you know, help their pitchers develop too. I, I think the park helps the pitchers, and I, and I think their defense helps their pitchers. But no, they, they have had 
it's unquestionable if you look at the A's. They've had a lot more success developing pitchers than they have hitters. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of uh, Gil Patterson, their pitching coordinator. Uh, let's move on to the 12th pick overall. Connor Glass, who drafted for the New York Mets. Appropriately, Jim Callis drafting for the Chicago White Sox. It would have been wrong if you hadn't had one of the Chicago teams, Jim. And then I'm uh, in the hole for the Reds at 14, Connor. You know, we've heard the Mets linked to high school position players, and I, I definitely consider guys like David Dahl and Gavin Cicchini, maybe even Corey Seager here for the Mets. But, but ultimately, it's tough to pass up the, the college right-hander with the polish of uh, Texas, Texas A&M right-hander Michael Walker. So that's who I'm going to go with. I've talked to a, a cross-checker who gave him 260s, 270s uh, when he was yeah, grading him 70 out. 70 fastball times, 70 changeup. Yeah. Probably yeah. 60 control and uh, 60 breaking ball, right? Yeah. And, he, you know, he's, he's got that changeup. He uh, pitches with a great tempo, fills up the strike zone, and he's going to get to the big leagues quickly. Makes a lot of sense for the Mets, who uh, really have this top two prospects and Harvey and Zach Wheeler. They, you know, everybody likes the industry. Pretty excited about both those guys. There's a pretty big gap after that, I think, for the Mets pitchers. Uh, Jim, if, if, if that's a pretty accurate. I, I mean, I think that's what you wrote about Waka. If that, if that's the case with Michael Waka, how does he last at 12? Why is he not in that top tier of pitchers? Um, I, I think it's the lack of a breaking ball. I mean, I, I like Michael Waka. I, I think he's going 11 or 12 right now. I, I think that's a good place for him to go. Um, you know, I think Heaney's moved ahead of him because Heaney's left-handed. Um, you know, it, I mean, I think at his best, Waka, you know, will show you, you know, he'll top out at a 70 fastball. I mean, I think realistically it's, you know, more of a 55-60 fastball. It's a good changeup. You know, guys are mixed on the, you know, starting pitchers without breaking ball, as we discussed, you know, with some of these picks at the top of the draft, that's a little bit of a worry for some guys. I think he's a tremendous competitor. I mean, I have said this before. I mean, if I, if I was lining up the pitchers, I would probably take Waka fourth or fifth among the college starters. But if I had a game today and my life depended on winning that game, I think I would take Michael Waka over the other four guys. I'm not saying he's going to be better than them in the long mm-hmm. run, but I don't think he's that far behind him. And I, I just, I, you know, I just think, you know, in terms of, you know, the guy who's the best college pitcher right now, it might be Michael Waka. Of course, you know, we don't even get to get to see Heaney in a regional, so we, you know, he doesn't get to test himself on that level. But uh, no, I, I think, you know, if you get Michael Waka at 12, I think that's a good value. Well, now, uh, Jim, I think you would have liked Michael Waka at 13, but where, where are you headed with the White Sox? Well, um, you know, you kind of hear all kinds of things with the White Sox, and they could go high ceiling. You know, Kenny Williams likes his high ceiling guys. You know, Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't like to pay guys, so I don't necessarily know that they're going for a high school guy. You know, there are some Matt Smorrell rumors out there. I think, you know, I think the White Sox do like Smorrell, and Smorrell did play with, with Doug Lauman, the scouting director's son, uh, on a travel team. I, I, there's no way. I mean, I keep seeing mock drafts where people throw out Smorrell. I'd be stunned. I'll fall out of my chair on draft day or, or fall off, a, off the touch screen at MLB Network uh, if Jerry Reinsdorf, I can't see Jerry Reinsdorf paying, you know, two plus million dollars to a high school pitcher who who pitched three innings this season because he broke a bone in his foot. I think, I think they're going to go college pitcher. My, my my gut tells me college pitcher over the high school high ceiling guy, and I actually think Chris Stratton's their guy all along. I'm not so sure they don't take Chris Stratton over Michael Walk if they get the choice between the two of them. You know, and it's funny because you know a week ago. I thought that this, these college pitchers, the second run on college pitchers, would kind of be in the 13 to 15 range. I think all the college starters are going to be gone by the time we get to 13. I, I would be very tempted to take Marcus Stroman here. I think there's a chance he's going to start. Um, you know, I think if he doesn't start, I think you're talking about a closer who could help you in the big leagues really quick. 
Um, my gut would probably tell me Marcus Stroman, but I think I'm the you know if I'm if I'm putting the White Sox hat on, I think the White Sox are taking Chris Stratton here, and I think they're 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 jumping on him at 13. I, I'm I'm uh, if I'm uh, Chris Buckley here, I'm uh, I'm weeping, uh, shedding a tear because I thought that Chris Stratton had a chance to get to me, and I would have loved Chris Stratton in a Cincinnati Reds uniform, but pick, I'm I'm picking 14 here. I don't think this is gonna happen, but I would I would take Marcus Stroman here if I'm the Cincinnati Reds. Because I do think in the long term he can start. I think in the short term the, the Reds have paid a lot of money out to Joey Votto. They've committed a ton of money to Joey Votto and Brandon Phillips, and they're going to win. They want to win right now. And I know that there would be some trepidation about putting a pitcher of Stroman's uh, uh, ceiling in Dusty Baker's hands and you know not knowing what's going to happen. But look, the Reds bullpen right now is terrible. Uh, they, they've got uh, a role as Chapman with all kinds of drama off the field right now. He's their best relief pitcher. I don't want to use the word unreliable. I just don't think we know exactly uh, what you have there in the Reds' bullpen. And they have pretty high expectations. And with Ryan Madsen's injury, they really don't have uh, a defined closer. I think Marcus Stroman could pitch in their big league bullpen this year. That's not why I'm taking him here. I'm taking him because of the long term. Uh, I do think he could be a Tom Gordon guy who starts for part of his career and relieves later. But – to me, it just makes too much sense for them now and looking forward. So I'm taking Marcus Stroman at 14 and uh, giving him a, a little shout-out for his coach, Sean McNally, who was fired yesterday. Uh wasn't fired. He, was, he resigned at Duke. I, don't, I actually don't think he was fired. But uh, moving on in the mock draft, we're at 15 with the Cleveland Indians. Connor, you're on the clock there, and then we're going to reset our first round and move on to 16 with uh, Jim. And then we probably need to go a little more lightning round rapid fire. Well, I think the Indians, you know, maybe they're going to go with a college player, maybe Richie Schaefer, Tyler Naquin, something like that. But for me, you know, I'm going to stick to my board and go with the best player on my board, and that is David Dahl. I like his athleticism. I love his left-hand swing and his patient approach at the plate. And I think David Dahl would fit really nicely in their system with Francisco Lindor at the top of the, the Indians' prospect list. Any high school picks the last couple of years were more high school heavy than the Indians had yeah. gone because they were a very college-heavy team for a long time. Dahl to 15 to Cleveland, that, that feels right. I, I, I like that pick. for uh, I, I like David Dahl. Uh, Jim, you're drafting at 16 for the Nationals. The Nationals spent a lot of money in the draft last year, not allowed to spend a lot of money in the draft this year, and they're picking lower than they have uh, most seasons. Uh, where do you have Washington going here at 16? Yeah, I've got a good one here for you guys, and I will throw out with the Indians. I think they're going college. I mean, I know that they went Lindor. I'd be shocked if they took David Dahl over one of the college hitters, but I, I like him as a talent there. I just don't think Cleveland's going in that direction. Okay, we've got Nationals. You've got Mike Rizzo. Mike Rizzo likes to do shopping at Boris Mart. I'm <laughs> giving him Devin Marrero. I, I, I think it, yeah, I'm not sure that Devin Marrero gets to 16. Um, I think Devin Marrero could go 12. I think he could go 14. But I, I like Devin Morrell, and I think this is a great spot for him. I think he's a tough guy on the board. I think he's, you know, clearly can play shortstop. I know he hasn't had a great year with the bat. He, he's been a little better with the bat recently. And I've talked to a number of scouting directors who kind of pick in this range who think he could be a steal for somebody. Not that he's going to – you know, he's not going to go out and be A-Rod. He's not that type of hitter. But guys think that his bat is better than what he's shown in the past – or shown this year. Um I, I'm not really sure he gets to 16, but if he does, I could see, you know, Mike Rizzo's seen him. Mike Rizzo loves Scott Boris, guys. Um, I, I think that's a match made in heaven. I think Devin Marrero goes 16 to the Nationals in this scenario. 
Yeah, you know, I, I have not uh, thought about him going there. Even with Ian Desmond kind of blowing up in the big leagues, not blowing up, but having his best big league season, you don't think that that uh, would preclude Washington from drafting him? No, because it's, I mean, again, I mean, you know, you're not talking about, you know, you're not asking De- Devin Marrero to come in and play shortstop for you right away. I, I You know, Ian Desmond, you know, he's having a nice year. But, I mean, you're talking about a guy who had a 650 ops last year. He had a 700 ops the year before. And it's not like Desmond, you know, Ian Desmond's a high ceiling bat. I think Ian Desmond, is, you know, he's he's kind of what Devin Marrero might be. You know, by the time Devin Marrero is ready, Ian Desmond, you know, is going to be arbitration eligible, close to free agency. And if, if Ian Desmond doesn't pick it up with the bat, I mean, I'd rather have Devin Marrero playing for $500,000 a year than paying Ian Desmond 7 or $8 million a year. So I, I don't think – I think if you're shopping at Morris Mar, you're going to be paying him higher salary than $500,000. Well, no, I'm talking about major league salary, though. No, you're not. When he was his first year in the majors, he's making the minimum. You're not you're, getting You're right. I forgot the new that you can't sign a major yeah. league deal anymore. He, he's, and he's not getting a major league deal even under the old scenario with the year he's had. But I, I just think – you know, iconic. But I, 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 think you're, I think you're just taking the best guy on the board, and I think he's the best guy on the board here. I would agree. Uh, Toronto, Nathan Rohde, you do their top 30, so you know what, uh, what's in store for the Blue Jays. Where do Alex Anthopoulos and Andrew Tennyson company go here at 17? Well, based on my draft board, and, and you know, I moved some guys around based on you know our actual BA 500. Um, but uh, on my board, the best guy available is Gavin Cicchini. Uh And if he weren't so good, he would be my personal cheese ball. Uh, you know, I just love the way that this guy plays the game and approaches it. I think he can stay at shortstop. Uh, you know, I think he can handle the bat. He's got some power in there, not a not a whole lot. You know, probably not as much as his brother. Uh, but he's got feel for hit. You know, he can go to all fields. And I think, uh, you know, just based on best player available, uh, I think this is a good pick for the Blue Jays right here. If that's the way the board played, I think that'd be that'd be outstanding for Toronto. We've gone through 17 picks. I'm going to reset it real quick. We've got here's who's off the board: Buxton, Appel, Correa, Zimmer, Gossman, Zanino, Freed, Almora, Heaney at nine, uh, Courtney Hawkins at ten, Lance McCullers, Michael Waka, Chris Stratton, Marcus Stroman, David Dahl, Devin Marrero, and Gavin Cicchini. Have all come off the board. So now, Connor, you're picking an 18 for the Dodger with the gym on, on deck for the St. Louis Cardinals. Well, put on your goggles, fellas, because I'm about to make a splash. Okay. <laughs> How long did it take you to come up with that? Not too long. Not too long. Okay. But, uh, I mean, the Dodgers, you know, they're in Los Angeles. They have the new ownership. I think it makes sense for them to make a little bit of a splash. They've got the guy, you know, across town that coming into the year, they would have no chance of getting at 18. That's Lucas Giolito. Um, obviously, you know, one of the top guys, if he was healthy, he's been sidelined this year, but I just think it makes, makes some sense for the Dodgers in, in some ways to get a guy that they wouldn't have been able to get and, you know, to do it, they might have to, they might have take to, uh, take, okay. I, I'm coming after Connor here. How much do you think it's going to cost you to sign Lucas Giolito? They might, to do it, they might have to take some $200,000 players in rounds two through five or six, but I think they can do that. So you're basically putting your your whole draft for the most part on Lucas Giolito. You got to find guys who are going to sign for next to nothing. Risky, risky. And, 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 and I mean, I think you might get a little hometown discount with Lucas Giolito. I know the dad doesn't I, think that way, but if I, Lucas Giolito ever grew up wanting to be a Dodger, I could see that happening. I will say Giolito is a big long toss guy, and, and Logan White is not. Logan White well, thinks the, the long toss ruined Greg Miller who was one of their top prospects about a decade ago, hitting his long toss, losing his capsule, and, and ruined Greg Miller, just throwing big distances. So uh, that's a fight that Lucas Giolito would not win if he really wanted to do that. And that was a that could cause some friction. We talked about it with the Royals. 
could cause some of the Dodgers. I do think the Dodgers are the kind of team where they've they've become so experienced, Jim, in making budget picks because <laughs> they've had to. I think they could do what Connor's talking about, pay a lot to Giolito, say three three point five million dollars somewhere in that range, and spread out the and have the rest of their picks in the first ten rounds be college seniors, those kind of guys, junior college players. They're well versed in that, you know. I do think it's doable for them to do it. I, I think the distance, maybe I'm reading too much into that, but I think the distance throwing is an issue. But I, I do think if you draft Lucas Giolito, Jim, any of these teams that don't have eight-figure bonus pools, or what are there, three teams that have eight-figure bonus pools, uh, you're, you're basically, you're putting most of your draft in one, most of your eggs in this one basket. Yeah, and I just, I, I, I mean, I like it for the it's market. funny. I was gonna come, I was gonna take him with the Blue Jays coming back, but I, I would be surprised if the Dodgers went that direction, just because it would take, you know, if you get him for three five, and nobody even knows if you could get him for three five, that's like seventy five percent of their budget. You're getting, you're basically signing ten more players in the first ten rounds, for about one hundred and fifty thousand apiece, and you're putting all your eggs in his basket. There's still a lot of uncertainty with him. I think it's a team that has more than one extra pick. I, I just would be very shocked if it was the Dodgers that pulled the pulled the trigger on that. I mean, I like the I like the idea of taking Giolito in this in this range, but I don't think Giolito goes in this range to a team like the Dodgers unless you're getting him for closer to two million dollars. I think, and, and I, I just I do, nobody has a sense if he'd do that. I do think it's the kind of thing that Magic Johnson would like to do. It's the kind of thing I think Stan Casta would not want to do. And, and I was going to say the same thing. I, I can't see Stan Caston who you know is probably right there with Jerry Reinsdorf in terms of hating to spend huge money on the draft. <laughs> Going outside the box, you know, basically, you know, downgrading all their other picks, putting all their eggs in the basket to give a high school pitcher who hasn't pitched in two and a half months and has elbow issues three and a half million dollars. I think I think Stan Caston would have a heart attack if it came to that. I still like it. I think they're gonna I think they're gonna build on for two million dollars and some Starbucks franchises on the side that Magic Johnson will. Give her the Can't do thing. that. Can't do that. <laughs> That's it's what you against think. the rule. That's what you no, think. No, if, if he got I Starbucks know it's against the rule. It's a joke. No Starbucks. St. No Louis, 19th pick, Jim Callis, engage. You know, I think this is one of the people don't have a great feel for exactly what St. Louis is going to do. And I think they could go in any direction. You know, any of the de- you could go high school, you could go college, you could go bat, you could go arm. I'm just going to go best, I think, available player right here. And I'm going to go I'm, – I'm taking D.J. Davis, the, the speedy outfielder yeah. from Mississippi, tremendous out, out uh, tremendous athlete. Um, you know, I, I think he can hit. Um, I don't think – I think if they pass on him at 19, you know, there's not a very good chance he's going to get back to him at 23. You know, I, I think he'd be in play for Atlanta and Toronto in between them. So give me D.J. Davis at 19. I love it. I love D.J. Davis at 19, but I also hate it because I'm picking 20 for the Gigantes. And I really thought that was going to be my Huckleberry at 20. I, I just kind of just thinking the Giants, uh, that DJ Davis made a lot of sense there. Um, but having to maneuver around a little bit, I don't know that I've heard this, this uh, name. I, I know we talked about Jim Nick Travieso here for the Giants. Uh, I do think the Giants love their power arms. I basically was looking ahead of this, that if, if Davis were not there, what pitcher would I take? The two guys who it seems like the ninja Dick Tidrow would love to get his hands on would be Matt Smorrell. Because uh, I don't think he cares that he threw three innings. He probably saw all three of those. He's probably seen them in the fall, and he probably knows how the arm works. He's probably seen a lot of video uh, and, and has decided in his head if that's the mold of clay that he can work with or not. Um, I, I guess it would depend on the signability. I think Travieso is more signable. Uh, I think Brian Sabian and Dick Tidra both have a lot of contacts in the state of Florida. So I'm going to give them Travieso. Uh, I think that might, might be a little bit higher. 
But to me, like John Barr and, and the Giants don't usually go by everyone else's board. They go by their board. And they're looking, to me, for power arms. And that's a farm system that even though the big league team is stocked with pitching, uh, the farm system is a little bit dry, has, hasn't dried up, but has a little bit less impact arms um, than maybe it has had in, in the recent past. So I'm going Travieso at 20. And I, I think he's a guy also who has late helium, really came on down the stretch. Uh, Archbishop McCarthy, right? Another state title. Uh, the guy was a reliever the first couple of years of his uh, high school career, uh, was a stud starter this year. And he sounds like a guy who's starting to get it in terms of pitching, whereas even in the first half of this year, he was kind of a thrower, and the light kind of went on for him in terms of pitchability halfway through this year. To me, that's that's Dick Tidrow's kind of guy. So I'm taking Travieso at 20. Uh, we've got the, Connor Glassy on the board for the Atlanta Braves at 21. Well, at the top of my board right now, I've got two third basemen. I was kind of going back and forth between Corey Seager and Richie Schaefer, but in the end, it's tough to pass up the, the college guy, you know, the, the best power hitter in this year's draft. So I'm going to go with Schaefer, even though I do know that it, it, it's going to be hard for him to fill Chipper's shoes coming in as a first-round right. pick and a third baseman. But uh, We'll stick that on Martin Prado. <laughs> but I like the bat. I mean, there aren't too many college bats in this year's draft, and Schaefer's a guy who, who can hit, can hit for some power, even though he might have to move off at third base. I think he's the best college bat in this year's draft too, Connor. Uh, I, I think that's a good, you know I, I think that's the consensus is. That's a not compliment. I'm not saying he's the best. Well, I mean somebody's got to be. He's not the best position player. I mean I don't think he's better than Zeno Marrero, but you know I think that's a good pick. I think there's a chance the Cardinals. I almost took him at 19 for the Cardinals, and I think there's a chance that you know somebody might bite on him in the teens. And it, you know I'll put it this way: if he gets to 21. He's not going to get too far past there. I don't think the Cardinals would pass on him at 23. So I think that's a, I think that's a good value. I mean, I'm not saying you know he's not you know in the class of of the elite college bats that we've seen in the past. But you don't often see the best college bat in the draft, you know, the consensus best college bat in the draft go 21st, <laughs> 21st overall. That, that that's a pretty good value. I wonder when the last time the best college bat in the draft had struck out in more than 25% of his at bats, because that's Richie Schaefer. Yeah, I mean it's it's not it's not a good year for college bats. It's a horrible year for college bats. So I mean I'm not I'm not trying to knock Richie Schaefer. I I actually I think everybody thinks I hate him. <laughs> Obviously not personally. Well, it sounded like you knocked him there. It's, I, but uh, I will he, knock him. I, I don't think he's elite, and he he 48 strikeouts in less than 200. But it's just not that is just not the hit ability that to me in a regular year he'd be a second round pick. There's no guarantee he stays at third base. He does have power, but it's 10 home runs. I'd like to see a little bit more juice. Um, I, I just He just doesn't excite me. And I think 21 is actually the right spot, but I agree with you. I think he's going to go higher than that. Engage with, uh, Tyler Be- with uh, the pick that the Blue Jays get for having uh, not signed Tyler Beatty here. Yeah, you know, and then the thing fans will remember here, with this pick at 22, they have changed the rules. So if the Blue Jays don't sign this compensation pick for not signing Tyler Beatty, unlike in the past, Past years, they'd be out of luck. You got one second chance. They get a third chance next year. They don't have to take a signability guy because if they don't sign this guy at 22, they get another pick next year. And, and I think – I have no idea where Giolito's going, and he's off our board. If Giolito, if I had to guess right now where Giolito's going to go, I would say pick 22. I think the Blue Jays are in position to gamble. But with Giolito off the board, and we're looking at the board as it stands now, I'm looking high ceiling. Um, I'm taking Ty Hensley from Oklahoma. I think he's, you know, I like John's Travieso pick. I think Travieso and Hensley would be the next couple of high school pitchers, and they both could go in the teens. But I'll take Ty Hensley, a guy who sits 92-95, a 
you know, has a tremendous curveball, you know, has a tremendous change. I mean, he's classic, you know, son of a pitching coach who's got all the pitches. He's very physical, and I think he's right up the Blue Jays' alley at, at pick 22. I like that pick. Now we're talking about the Cardinals. We probably just should have had you and, uh, and Nathan flip here because Nathan could have made both Cardinals picks, and you could have made both. I mean, Nathan could have made both Blue Jays picks. You could have made both Cardinals picks. We're making, mixing up our birds here, uh, cross-pollinating. Nathan, you're picking for the Cardinals here at 23. As a franchise, you've already got DJ Davis here. So so where do you like to go here for 23? Well, I'm going to go, you know, stick to the best player on the board for me. You know, guys I considered were, you know, Addison Russell, Luke Sims, even Zach Eflin for me. Uh, but I'm going to go with Corey Seager. Uh, and I'm not just saying that to give a former B.A. writer uh, his first first-round pick. Uh, but I really like Seager. It's good defense. He's not going to stay at short and move the third, but he'll be a very good defender there. He's more physical than his major league brother. Uh, and, you know, one thing that really sticks out for me is you know, at the ACC tournament last year, I was standing with a scouting director, and we were just talking general baseball, and he told me that when I see a high school left-handed hitter that can go to the opposite field with power and authority, that's a guy that you lock in on, and that's the kind of guy I see in Corey Seager. All right, so Corey Seager, brother of Kyle, goes to 23 uh, to the Cardinals, and uh, it sounds like he has to go in the first round or he's not signable. So... <laughs> Um, South Carolina has held on to some of its p- players before. Uh, obviously, St. Louis taking Seager there. They, they're pretty confident he's signable. Uh, so let's move on to the Red Sox. Our, our next couple of picks, Red Sox at 24, Rays at 25. Connor, you're picking for the Red Sox here at 24. Jim with 25 with the Rays. And then I'm in the hole with the Diamondbacks. So, uh, Connor, what do you got for Boston here? Well, you know, there, there's several uh, high school pitchers I like in this spot. But personally, when there's – you know, a hitter and a, a pitcher kind of in the same range. I tend to prefer the position player, especially when it's a polished polished college player. So I'm going to go with Tyler Naquin here. Um, I was thrilled to get Schaefer at 21 as the best bat in the draft. I think Naquin we rated as the best pure hitter in this draft. So I think as a left-handed hitter, he's going to fit nicely in Fenway. He's going to be able to hit a few home runs. He's going to bang balls off the monster. And uh, I'm, I'm a Tyler Naquin believer. You know, the thing also about uh, Naquin, I know there's some tweener questions, but maybe correct me if you think I'm wrong here, Jim, but to me, he actually, it seems like he'd almost fit better for a team like Boston where right field is a difficult position to play. Historically, the Red Sox have placed value on defense in right field, thinking about Dewey Evans, guys like that. He does have kind of center field range and a big-time arm and what is a difficult right field to play in Fenway Park. So while he doesn't have profile power for Fenway, he does have profile defense for that ballpark. I don't know, Jim, does that make any sense? It does some. I mean, I, and, you know, getting back to we were talking about Schaefer. I mean, Naquin's a better pure hitter. You know, Schaefer's a better all-around hitter. I mean, Naquin, Naquin confounds a lot of guys because he's, he's probably the best pure college hitter in this draft. He might have the best outfield arm of any college player in the draft. I think a lot of guys would quibble on you uh, giving him center field range. He hasn't played a lot of center field at Texas A&M because they have a speedster in center and Cray Brodson. But you know, Naquin's one of those guys, so I think he'll run you some plus times in a 60. But, you know, you're not necessarily running 60s. You know, you're, you're running laterally. I, I don't think he's it's, – it's more of a, a 55 runner, 50-55 runner. I'm not really sold at center field range. I could see him fitting there. Um, I would be a little surprised if um, – it seems to me teams like, in general, Piscotti, Stephen Piscotti of Stanford, who I'm sure one of us will pick soon – a little bit more than Tyler Naquin. Um, but, you know, like I said, you know, it, it's just Naquin's a hard guy to figure out because of those tweener questions. I mean, you're talking about the best pure college hitter, very good outfield arm, 
but there's still some questions on how much the power is and, and whether he could really play center field. Okay, well, Jim, uh, since you just had a little monologue there, keep th- keep talking. We'll talk about the Tampa Bay Rays. We're picking at 25, and this is their uh, you know first pick. We've had a couple teams that have had a couple picks, and the Rays also kind of in a, I would say after last year's uh, what 10 picks in um, in the first 60, almost a little bit of a but it's a little bit of a drought here in their farm system. To me, it feels like the Rays need the help. This is an important pick. It is, you know, and they don't get as many chances as they got last year. They just have their their standard complement of ten picks and under four million dollars to spend this year. You know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to a guy they took out of high school. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, the Rays obviously aren't afraid of high school players and ceilings. I mean, I think they'd love to get a chance at guys like uh, you know DJ Davis, who we already have off our board. I, I think would be a guy who'd fit. I'm gonna give him Pierce Johnson from Missouri State. Uh, to me, he's clearly the next best college pitcher on on the board. You know, I, I don't think he lasts this long if he hadn't had a forearm strain that cost him a couple weeks in the middle of the season, but he's come back from that well. He was a guy that the that the the Rays took out of a Colorado high school. Um, and I just think he's the best value on the board at this point. I mean, they could go in a number of directions. You you can go high school upside. I, I don't see Steven Piscotti necessarily being their type of guy, even though I just brought him up. So I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna give them I'm going to go ahead and give them Pierce Johnson. That makes some sense. Uh, and like you said, they did draft him earlier uh, in his career um, out of high school. I'm up next with the Diamondbacks. Uh, Connor, you're on the you're you're on the uh, on deck with the Brewers. And then Jim, you'll get to pick for the Brewers. So uh, this is also my last pick of the first round. And you know the Diamondbacks. I'll be honest. I don't have a great feel for Ray Montgomery, and I don't have a great feel for what the Diamondbacks administration. Uh, has in mind here. To me, it's, it's a farm system that has a lot of a lot of strengths. A lot of obviously had a great pitching draft. We thought last year, Archie Bradley, Trevor Bauer at the top. Um, for me, it seems like that's an organization. Everybody could use guys up the middle. I don't know if the per, present uh, Diamondbacks administration with Kevin Towers is going to be as Boris friendly as Mike Rizzo was when he was their scouting director there and uh, and that kind of thing. But I still see the Diamondbacks as an organization that up the middle isn't tremendously strong. So I'm going to take Addison Russell here. Uh, I think he's a high school shortstop. I think he does have a chance to stay at shortstop. There's definitely some split camp guys, but the people who saw him this spring, I definitely think uh, see him as a shortstop. They don't see that Juan Uribe comp that was floating around last uh, last summer and last fall. He slimmed down. He's trimmed up the body. Um, and he had a he had a good year. Uh, he, he did hit. He did hit for power. He took his team deep in the playoffs. And, and the body's better. So while he's a tinkerer, while his offensive uh, – consistency is lacking uh, and you'd like to see a little bit more consistency i think if you saw more consistency from him you'd see him go ahead of uh, chikini i think you'd see him as one of those top uh shortstops i think it could be a first 10 or 15 pick um as it is that inconsistent offensive approach i think helps him fall to 26 but i think it's the right spot talent wise and uh i think the diamondbacks can get something done to, to buy him away from auburn so i know he's uh considered a tough sign but i still think arizona could get him here at 26 so uh I'm taking him there. Jim, is there are there players that you hear connected to Arizona here this late in the draft? It's tough because you know at this point you know, you're talking deep enough in the first round. These teams are going to let the board come to them. They're going to be guys who get to them who they aren't anticipating. Right. And so you don't hear them locked in on a guy. I mean, you know, I would think you know, I mean, Arizona has taken college guys. You know, Kevin Cowers when he was in San Diego, they took a lot of college guys. I could see Piscotty fitting there. I've heard, uh, you know, on the other end, you know, high school, you know, guy like Stryker Trahan, I could see going there. But it's more like when you're picking there, it's more like you're going to be pleasantly surprised on, on draft night that there's going to be a guy who, you know, maybe you have 15th on your board 
that, that gets there at 26. So I really shied away from Piscotty there because of all their corner bats in their system, Connor. So maybe I made things easier for you with Milwaukee. Uh, between the Borcherings and the Matt Davidson and those kind of guys, I just, and Goldschmidt at the big leagues, I didn't think that a corner bat was really what made sense for Arizona. So I, I shied away there. But that leaves uh, Milwaukee at 27 for you, Connor Glassy. And, uh, Jim, you're on deck with another Brewers pick. So you guys are in the same draft room here, but uh, apparently not talking to each other. <laughs> Well, I'm going to go with the corner bat, but I'm actually going to go with Joey Gallo. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys I like in this range. Gallo is a guy who didn't look good out here at the NHSI, but really turned it on after that. Finished the year with, I think, 21 home runs. Yeah, 21 home runs. On our high school player of the year checklist, his numbers are loud. They're the loudest numbers. Yeah, I mean, he's got he's got the best power in this year's high school class. Um, it's tremendous power the question is how much is he going to hit um but i think you know a team that's willing to be patient with him and a team that also has extra picks might be in on joey gallo because reportedly i've heard he has a a four million dollar price tag um he's going to have to come down from that i think if he if he's going to go you know here at 27 but uh, it's just tough you're for just me to... You're just trying to screw me out of money, Connor, at 28. I, <laughs> I don't appreciate that. You're, you're taking all my money and giving it to your guy. <laughs> I kind of like that idea. It's uh, Great pick, Connor. It's just tough to pass on that kind of power this late in the draft. Um, so that's who I'm going with. And then, you know, obviously if it doesn't work out with him as a hitter, well, he's touched 97 on the mound. So it's a nice fallback option. I like Gallo. I definitely strongly considered Gallo at 26. Didn't quite think just felt right for Arizona. But... Uh, Jim Gallo is your, your, the first pick for your Brewers here. Who are you taking now at 28 with the next pick and with Nathan on deck for the Rangers? And I agree with what, what Connor said, too. I mean, I, I think Gallo's going to go. I mean, it obviously comes down to the price tag. If, you know, none of this has been substantiated yet, but you, know, you hear these rumors of $4 million or so. If that's the case, he's not going in the first round. Um, but, you know, if, if he's signable at, you know, at market value or pick, you know, what these pick values are, it's hard to imagine his power even lasting that long because, you know, guys don't hit him like he does. Very few guys do. I, I don't think Milwaukee passes on Piscotti if he gets to their pick. Um, you know, I, I don't know necessarily if they'd go – if they'd want two bats, if they'd want to go bat an arm. You know, at least we'd go high school, college here with Piscotti and Gallo. But, you know, I think when you're picking this part of the draft, you're taking the best guy. You're not working about demographics. And I think Piscotti's a guy they could like. Um, I mean, a guy – I'm sorry, a guy they do like. And a guy that could, that could fit into their outfield in a couple of years. So I, I think Piscotty, and you know, they could even give him a shot at third. I, I think the jury's out on whether he can stay there. But you know, between him and Gallo, you, you might have one third baseman and then, and then a corner guy. I think you also have two guys who, if it doesn't work out, they can both pitch. Uh, Piscotty's in Stanford's weekend rotation now. So <laughs> you have fallback options with both players. Either one of them could stay in the dirt, first or third base, maybe left field, right field. Gallo certainly has the arm for right field if he doesn't exactly have great range. Um, and if they fail as hitters, they both have enough arm strength to try them on the mound. So kind of a neat uh, – neat, I, I like having them paired together. None of the last three picks of the Baseball America Experts draft. So uh, Texas Rangers to Nathan Rohde, New York Yankees to Connor Glassy and Jim Callis with the Red Sox. So uh, Nathan, engage. You know, there's a couple of pitchers that I considered at this spot, but pitching in, uh, in Rangers ballpark in Arlington – uh, really gives me some pause, and you know, given how risky high school arms can be at times, I don't know if I want to quite take that dive at this point. Uh, but because of the ballpark as well, you know, I like guys that have big power. And imagine Victor Roach in a stadium like the Texas Rangers and what his power could do. I know he's been out for most of the season, so you got to go on 
uh, what he did, you know, last year. Uh, but what he did last year was pretty impressive. Uh, 30 home runs between his college season and his summer season. Uh, so the power is for real, and uh, I think he would be a good fit for the Rangers, especially in this slot. Well, we have, uh, I know the Rangers have a lot of faith in their area scout down there because they've gone to him for Jordan Aikens, uh, Jake Skoll, uh last year, Kevin Matthews, and Zach Cohn, their first two picks. Uh, so they had a lot of faith in Ryan Coe, uh, their area scout there in Georgia. Jim, I just don't see them taking a college player here there with their first pick, even though I do think Roach fits them as a high-risk, high-reward guy. Um I, I I don't know who on my I, on my board I would have given them to maybe Striker Striker Trahan I thought it was Trahan all this time but I guess it's not but um but what are you hearing associated with Texas? Yeah, I'm with you. I mean I think I agree with Nathan. I think Roach is a good value here because I think he's he's probably goes in the top 15 if he doesn't get hurt and has a year you know he was capable of having just based on what people thought of him last year. But I, to me the Rangers I, I I could see them taking more of a you know, high school guy or more of an all-around athlete like a Trahan. You know, I mean, I don't know if anybody will do this. If a team were to go all in and make a run to try to get Anthony Alford away from his Southern Miss football commitment, I could definitely Mm -hmm. see him be Texas. And I could also see, you know, we've talked about Matt Smorl, who, you know, is a high-ceiling guy who didn't have an arm injury, broke a bone in his foot, you know, and, and barely pitched this season. I, I could see if a team makes a play for for Smoral in the first round and is willing to spend money. You know, I, I told we talked earlier. I, I just can't see the White Sox being that team. Even those rumors are out there. I could see the Rangers being that team. So I think Roach is a good value, but I could also see him going for an even higher ceiling with a high school guy too. Yeah, I, I do and, like I like getting Roach in the first round though, Nathan. Sure. And the thing is, he is. It's hard to find that kind of power. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of that kind of power in this draft that right. he has. He had 30 home runs. He was the first college player to hit home run, 30 home runs in nine seasons. They did it with the bad bats in a year where power in a year where power was down <laughs> by 50 percent. He hit 30 home runs. I mean that that was a massive number. I don't think we properly appreciated how big his year was last year. Right, and and then that's and it's part of the reason that you know I take him at that spot. Although I do agree that you know. The high school bat might be a different way to go. Alfred, you know, was a guy that I was thinking about, but because of the whole Southern Miss football thing was one I was kind of shying away from. I don't have a really good feel for his signability. Uh, but then, you know, I also was considering going off the board a little bit and going for a guy like Lewis Brinson. thought that he might fit that profile of high risk, high reward for uh, the Rangers as well, but was a little too far off the board for me at this point. I, I would have uh, I would have been very intrigued by the Lou Brinson. That would have been... Uh... That would have been neat. I think that would have actually worked. Uh, we're on the Baseball America podcast. We're wrapping up the first round of our experts draft here. And we've got Connor Glassie picking for the Yankees and Jim picking for the Red Sox. So, Connor, Yankees first pick. Uh, who's who's next in the lineup? Who's the next Dante Bichette Jr. for the Yankees where they're going to make a, a nice draft find here at the back of the first round? Well, I was also going to go off the board. Uh, the guy that I kind of had in mind here was a flow catcher, Tom Murphy. Um, catchers, you know, always go good. Yankees love catchers. The Yankees love catchers. Murphy can hit. He has power. He can do a little bit of everything. Uh, I had scouts, you know, kind of just asking me this, you know, this spring, what if what if Murphy was in Florida and and Zunino was in Buffalo? Would they be, you know, viewed the same way? And that's that's an interesting way to look at it. But um, I'm not. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, the guy that's higher up on my board, and it's. Oklahoma high school pitcher Ty Hensley. Um, I love his physicality. 
Hey, Connor, he, I think he went 22, didn't he? He did go 22. You need to start over. Ah, don't. Well, I'm going Murphy. Okay, sorry. I, well, I, then you're I, insane. I'm going to rip you in a second. But go ahead. <laughs> That's fine. Um, make your case for Tom Murphy. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to go a little bit off the board here. Um, catchers always go good. And, you know, I had scouts asking me this, this spring, what if this guy was in Florida and Mike Zunino was in Buffalo? I'm going to go with Tom Murphy here for the Yankees. Um, he's a guy who can definitely stay behind the plate, can do a little bit of everything, hits, hits for power, just a solid all-around catcher, and I like him here at number 30 for the Yankees for the hometown team. Jim, explain why you don't agree. I, I like Tom Murphy for what he is. I, I just don't think he's a first-rounder. Um, yeah, you know, Buffalo is, I think, about the only team in the MAC that doesn't follow my draft region. So I didn't write up Tom Murphy. I talked to a lot of people about him. I like him. I, I think to mention him uh, in the same sentence as Mike Zanino is borderline blasphemous, Connor. Uh, and he hit 250 against right-handers this year against MAC competition and everybody else Buffalo played. There's there's some concern that Murphy might be a platoon player. I, I like him. I just I think taking him in the first round is a huge reach. Not mean to pick on your pick, but uh, when, when you compared him to Zanino or, or kind of that, you know, the scouts mentioned, I, I'm sorry. If, if Mike Zanino is at, at Buffalo, he's going to hit like 450 with, with 20 home runs against that competition. So I, I like Tom Murphy for what he is, but I think he's a second rounder. Don't forget, Jim loves the SEC. So, I mean, <laughs> well, I mean Mike I, Zanino I, I only hit that's... 250 in the SEC. Um, I don't know what he hit against right-handers in the SEC, but – he was exploited in the SEC by slide pieces. He led the league in doubles. He hit six, seven home runs. He did hit, but he didn't exactly dominate SEC competition. He had like a 350, 360 on base. I'm, I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there that uh, it's not easy for any catcher to hit. But I do think, to me, Murphy would be a reach there. As much as the Yankees like catching, I think he'd be a real reach at 30. I don't disagree with the premise that. Tom Murphy might be a little undervalued, and I'm with you in that we had a pretty strong split in the office on when we ranked the top 200 first of where Tom Murphy would be. And I'm on the high end. I'm with you. I like him. I like the physicality. I think it's more likely that he's like a Mark Parent, a big physical backup who runs into some balls and is maybe if he's a reserve, if he's a starter, he's a second division starter. I don't see him as a first division starter. I do think there's a pretty good gap between him and Zanino. And I agree. I don't mind you going off the board. I think it's fun when we do experts draft like this. And you have conviction on Tom Murphy. I like that too. But for me, that would be a reach, especially with the fact they already have catching. If they're going to like a catcher, they're going to be convicted with a guy like Trahan, where other teams don't see him as a catcher, and they do. You know, that's where I think if they were to go off the board for a catcher, I think it would be with Trahan, where I think the consensus is that he's a right fielder. But 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 in this experts draft, Tom Murphy is on the is off the board, Jim. So you can't take Tom Murphy for the Red Sox. <laughs> I know he was next on your prep list. Actually, I'll get the guy who had I been picking twenty four, I might have taken twenty four for Boston, and I know they like him. I think a bunch of teams in the say bottom third of the first round are really on him. It's Tanner Rayer, you know, the the infielder, California high school infielder. Nathan Rodies. A lot of guys player. like him. Probably has to move to second or third, but it's it's a good bat. It's average power. Um, it's a good arm. The guy, you know, plays with a lot of energy. He, he's, he's kind of a baseball rat with tools. Um, and I think he's going to be, you know, I don't think he's going to sign for, you know, a song. But I also think that he's the type of kid who wants to play so badly. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he's one of the first first-rounders to sign and is out there playing, 
you know, in, in mid June somewhere. So I, I'll take Tanner Rayher to to conclude our first round of this uh, hypothetical draft. I'm not uh, I'm not banging on Tanner Rayher personally. I don't think you are either no. necessarily, Nathan. But as our high school baseball writer, I'm explaining my earlier comment, and I'm going to allow you to do this as well. You are opposed to high school players who don't play for their high school team. So it, that's why you have some opposition to. It's not in. And yeah, I'm opposed to that for a lot of reasons. And, but the reasons that guys like Ryer, the reasons Ryer gives for playing in that club league, I don't like. He's saying that the competition is better. He's playing junior college caliber guys. Well, he's not because the guys in that league are guys that didn't make teams elsewhere. Right. Uh, and that league that he's playing in, yeah, there are other Division One guys in that league. But guess what? They're all on the same team. They put them all on this one team, and they play within their own league. Ryer has tools. I will give him that. He is a good player. Um, but where guys are talking about him, I just never saw that out of him. I saw a lot of effort to a lot of things he did. I didn't think he was very athletic. Um, I don't think guys are convicted that he stays at short. I'm certainly not. I saw him more as a third baseman, maybe even uh, you know a right fielder because he has power. He is strong. He is strong right. as an ox. I will give him that. Um, but uh, this range that we're, you know, we're talking about him, I just don't see him quite in that range based on what I've seen. You know, granted, I'm not a scout, and I've been wrong about guys before, but, you know, every year there's guys that you're high on and you're low on. I'm the low man on Tanner Ryer, and it's nothing personal. I'm sure he's a good kid, and I don't want to try to bash him anything like that, but as a player and in, for the draft, that's just the way I see him. I mean, uh, Aaron fits right up on him is that he's polarizing. Some scouts like him as a sandwich pick. Others see him as a fourth to fifth round talent. Going 30 to the 31st pick, uh, basically the start of the sandwich round, essentially, into the first round. Mm-hmm. And again, you can see where some teams are convicted on him, Jim. So, Jim, what I wanted to ask you, because you're getting ready to write up a mock, who didn't go in our experts draft here in our uh, top 31 in our, in our mock draft? Who you think is going to go in the in the top 31? I don't think striker Trey Hans seems like he jumps out. Maybe he's the highest guy. And Matt Smorrell, uh, those are the top two guys on our top five on the Baseball America 500 who didn't go, along with Lucas Sims and Shane Watson and Z- uh, Zach Eflin. Who else are you hearing who could go in the first round who maybe we didn't have uh, that high or didn't go in our draft just now? You know, I don't think anybody who's a lock first-round pick. I mean, all the guys you mentioned are mentioned in the first round, but they aren't locks. I mean, the, the, the high school pitchers especially are hard to shake out. I mean, you, you, Freed's the best high school pitcher available. Giolito's a wild card. McCullers is probably number two, but there are, you know, there's some signability rumblings on him. And after that, I don't think there's a consensus. I think we had, what, Hensley and Nick Travieso in the first round, but, you know, Sims, Watson, Eflin, Smorrell, those guys could factor in for the right team. Among guys we didn't mention, you know, Brian Johnson as, you know, the next best left-hander uh, could factor into the first round somewhere. Um, you know, guys like, you know, Mitch Hanniger, you know, the outfielder from Cal Poly could factor in at the end of the first round. I mean, I hear, you know, I don't think it's for every team, but a guy like a Carson Kelly could sneak into the first round you know a two-way guy from oregon high school kid you know there are clint Coulter rumors to the brewers at the bottom of the first round so he could sneak in sounds like you know, clint James... Coulter almost has to really strongly believe he's going in the first round to go to the draft i mean he's in new york right is he not the guy is he not who's in new york city uh, he's one of the guys in new york um yeah i mean he doesn't even he doesn't have an advisor so i mean it, it, he he probably thinks he's going there, and I think he I think he's more of a sandwich pick 
and I think he probably will get picked during the broadcast, but it's not a guarantee. I, I don't think it's a lock. Um, I was going to say Mitch Nay from Arizona has had some late helium, a high school third baseman. You know, he might factor into the to the first round for some teams. I, I could see him. Uh, yeah, but again, I don't think it's anybody. I don't think we skipped over anybody who who's a lock first rounder. These guys are just all guys who are, are kind of in play. And I, I was going to mention James Ramsey from Florida State, who, who's having a tremendous year as a senior. You know, and, and theoretically, you could take it at somewhat of a discount. There's a lot of thought that somebody maybe pops him in the second half of the first round as a discount guy, saves a little bit of money to go big later. Connor, yeah, you were going to say something about uh, Clint Coulter, I believe. Yeah, I was just going to say Coulter is going to be up there for the draft. And, I mean, even Simply if you don't go, it would still be a pretty cool experience to, to meet all the you know Hall of Famers there, there and all that. Meet Jim Callis in person. <laughs> That's I'll be in the, the, the adjunct studio, so I don't know if he'll run into me. But you know, just by point of comparison, I think the only guy who was there last year was Larry Green, who was not a, a – he didn't go in the first round, and he went in the sandwich round to everybody's relief, but was not a locked sandwich round pick. And I think Connor hit the nail on the head with that one. I, I think a lot of times it, it could be the – you know, hey, it's a great experience. You know, we think he's going to go that high, and even if he doesn't, it's a great experience. Um, you know, but there are rumors that, you know, the, the, the Brewers maybe really zeroed in on him, and, and maybe they feel like that's a strong possibility, or, you know, maybe they know it's going to happen. But, uh, you know, you could, you could read too much into that one, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. That's, that's, that's what I was doing. I was I was reading a little bit too much into that one. Uh, but the other players who are going to be there are what, Carlos Correa, Andrew Heaney, Gavin Cicchini, Gavin Cicchini and Courtney Hawkins. Those are all pretty much uh, locks to go in the first round. Uh, I'm an advocate of players going there. I don't know that there's – I don't really see what the downside is uh, unless someone pays for you to go in. It's some kind of NCA violation, and you and you lose some of your uh, you know leverage that way. But uh, do you ever see that uh, increasing, Jim? And uh, do you ever see more players being at the draft like it is for the NBA draft or the NFL draft? I don't think we'll ever have that many. I, I know MLB Network works very hard to get players, and they obviously had a breakthrough this year by getting five. You know, last year Colton Wong was going to come. They had some family issues that cropped up at the last second that prevented him. I, I think the two biggest issues that stand in the way of this, and one of them can't really be prevented right now, a lot of the college players are playing in NCAA regionals that weekend. So even if the team is eliminated, it's very tough from a logistical standpoint to get them there Monday. And if the team's still playing, the coaches aren't necessarily going to want them going off for a day or so to the draft. So that's, that's one that they probably can't get around unless the draft and then the NCAA playoffs line up differently. The second one is, I mean, you get some agents who feel like with a high school player, not so much an NCAA violation, but that you're, you're giving away some leverage. That if I'm an agent and I send my high school player, I, I, you know, he goes to New York, then teams are going to say, oh, that kid definitely wants to sign because he came to the draft show. And I think that's overblown. And, and, you know, it's nice. I mean, most of the guys this year, you know, I think four of the five are high school guys. I, I think that's a nice trend, and I would hope that, that more high school guys w- would consider it. I, I don't think just because you show up, you know, just because – I mean, I think all these guys will sign because they'll go high enough. But just because Courtney Hawkins shows up in, in Secaucus, New Jersey, that all of a sudden the team knows, hey, we got Courtney. You know, we're, we're going to come, you know, squeeze him on the bonus. I, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, and I just hope that more more players are open to attending in the future because I, I I think it, it it makes it more of an event and I think as Connor said I mean it's it's kind of cool I mean you know you, we have the, the the official team representatives who kind of sit at the desk and and act like they're involved in the process when really they they get told okay this is who the scouting department wants to pick go announce it but it's cool if you if you're a high school kid or a college kid to to go meet 
know, Jim Rice or some of these other baseball celebrities that are there. It's, it's a really neat event, and, and, I, and I think it's a great sign that we got five players who are going to be at this year's draft. I agree. I'm excited about it. I'm excited for the draft. Please get here soon, Monday night, so we can our long national nightmare can be over. I'm just I, I need some sleep, so I need Monday and Tuesday to get here. So, uh, Connor, you ready to go? You ready for the draft? I'm I'm pumped and jacked. Nathan, are you pumped and jacked? You don't have yeah. to. That's good enough. And uh, Jim, are you pumped and jacked, or are you just ready for it to be over? No, it's, I, I'm doing fine. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> I'm hanging in You're there. You're neither I, pumped I, I do nor jacked nor exhausted. <laughs> No, I, I've been I've, I've been I've been pumped and jacked. I've, I've had the draft fever for a you while. You have had the fever. The um, fever left yeah. me left me uh, worse for wear. So uh, as it as it usually does. So uh, I'm looking forward to the draft as well. I'm looking forward to recording another college podcast today with the right side of the bracket with Jim Callis. We hope you enjoyed this Franken podcast. We overcame some technical difficulties, I think, to piece this podcast together. We thank you for being patient with the audio of it, and hope you enjoyed it as much as we did uh, bringing it to you. So for everybody here and for Dick Sporting Goods, which sponsors all of our draft coverage, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.